Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, I'm sure you'll be glad to know that Mercury goes direct tomorrow, May 3rd, about noon Eastern Daylight Time. Yay! Our guest this evening is Anne Crawford, who is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and the author of four books, all on Amazon. Her latest book, Spellweaver, is the story of a special healer during the witch hunts of Scotland. Her other books include the hilarious Angels on Overtime, The Deep Mary's Message, which is about Mary Magdalene, and Reach for the Stars Visioning, She has lived in every continental time zone and now lives with her family in Colorado. She's won awards for her piecework, too, and traveled the world extensively, 65 countries and all 50 states, including two complete circumnavigations of the globe. Her website is annecrawford.net. That's A-N-N Crawford, C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D dot net. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who has a question or comment for Anne. You can check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want an interpretation of that chart, please order at least two or three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. Well, good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. Can you hear me? Hey. Ariel, yes, good. I well, can. We're on. We're rolling. Yes. Great. We're rolling. Well, <laughs> well, we have quite a bit of news tonight, so I better get right into it. Um, a radar in Canada has detected radio echoes coming from the constellation Aquarius, and this is a sign that the annual ETA aquarid meteor shower is underway. 
In the days ahead, our planet will cross a network of debris streams from Halley's Comet, producing a drizzle of ETA aquids numbering 10 to 30 meteors per hour in the northern hemisphere and perhaps twice that number in the southern hemisphere. Now, usually the ETA aquid shower peaks around May 6th, but they say that this year there'll probably be an additional enhancement on May 4th or 5th. That just starts in a couple of days, uh, the big part of it. And we have a magnetic storm possible this week. A filament of magnetism on the sun exploded on April 30th, hurling a CME into space. NOAA analysts say the cloud could deliver a glancing blow to Earth's magnetic field tomorrow with a 40% chance of minor geomagnetic storms following that impact. And this space news comes from spaceweather.com. Well, speaking of space... SpaceX has successfully landed a fir- uh, lands its first launch of a top-secret mil- top military satellite. Well, SpaceX has successfully launched and landed its Falcon 9 rocket in the fifth of 20 scheduled launches this year. And this was a landmark event for this company as it was the first launch of a military satellite in its 15-year history. The Falcon 9 rocket lifted off from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station uh, near the famous uh, NASA launch site. And just nine minutes later, the rocket's main section touched back down on the launch pad. Today's launch, actually, excuse me, that was yesterday. Yesterday's launch was the first time the National Reconnaissance Office, the NRO, has entrusted anyone other than the United Launch Alliance with one of its top-secret payloads. So SpaceX is now handling military-grade satellites for the government. Well, a satellite has helped confirm an unprecedented rise in noctilucent clouds, which they say now are caused by meteor dust. Tuesday, uh, that is, uh, that was a week ago, by the way, marked the 10-year mission of a NASA satellite named AIM for the Aronomy of Ice in the Mesosphere. Wow. Aronomy of ice in the mesosphere. And the purpose of that is to study noctilucent clouds, and the data, they say, has proved invaluable. Well, why? Well, noctilucent clouds are also known as night-shining clouds, and they form on the edge of space about 50 miles high off the surface. Now, these clouds are made of ice crystals, which reflect sunlight to give off the clouds' signature bluish glow. Well, they're mainly seen in the summer just after sunset and before sunrise. And these clouds are usually spotted about 30 to 60 minutes after sunset. And typically, they're brightest in late June and July. Well, the point about this is that it's been uh, suspicioned or perhaps some claims have been made that noctilucent clouds are directly related to meteor dust. And now, according to this finding from this particular satellite, uh, they found out that Yes, the satellite data has confirmed that that's right, that noctilucent clouds uh, are formed from meteor dust. Well, that's important because uh, over the last number of years, there have been a rise in the occurrences of the booms heard in the sky, shaking houses, no known cause, things like that. Uh, Very possibly, we have big question marks around this, but uh, those things that have been reported, these big sounds in the sky, booms and such, no one seems to know what's causing them. Certainly, 
certainly it could very well be incoming meteors. And as I track the meteor activity as best I can with the data that I've got a hold of, that is definitely on the increase. So more incoming meteors means more meteor dust, and that means more noctilucent clouds, which have definitely, definitely been on the increase in the last five years. Um, it's really spiked. So now they know uh, it's very likely satellite, uh, excuse me, meteor dust that's causing noctilucent clouds. All right. Well, we've had some earthquakes this past week, just in the last few days, actually. Uh, a few days ago, we had a shallow 5.7 magnitude quake that registered off of Kagoshima, Japan. And there was a shallow 5.6 uh, recorded off of East Java, Indonesia. And a 6.8 quake struck off the Philippines, and that triggered a tsunami warning. That struck south of the island of Mindango, uh, triggered that uh, hazardous warning for tsunami waves, and that's according to the USGS and the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center. Uh, don't know what happened with that. I don't have a follow-up story. Obviously, nothing real critical. But we did have a – there's been a lot of activity up in Alaska <clears throat> and up in the Pacific Northwest. We had a, a shallow 6.3 magnitude quake that occurred close to Haines, Alaska, and uh, there was a second strong quake within two hours for the whole region. region. So uh, this is uh, from yesterday's report from a website called Earthquake Track, and they say that several powerful quakes struck Monday in the northern tip of British Columbia near the border with Alaska and Yukon. In addition to the 6.3, the USGS says that a 6.2 quake hit uh, northwest of Sagway, Alaska. That was followed by several smaller quakes, including one with a magnitude of 5.2 and another major 6.3 almost two hours after the first. Now, there were no reports of injuries or building damage. It's a very remote region, and no tsunami warning was issued. But Yukon Energy, a power company, confirmed that the quake had triggered power outages. Now, the Alaska area, as you know, experiences a large amount of seismic activity due to the movement of the Pacific tectonic plate and the North American plate. And you probably also know that way back in 1964, an earthquake centered near Prince William Sound in Alaska registered a magnitude of 9.2, the second largest earthquake ever recorded. And uh, one of the things about this uh, swarm occurring in Alaska right now, they say, well, this is also a potential uh, warning that the earthquake could be a foreshock of larger quakes still to come. People that live up in that region are certainly you know, aware that that could happen. Well, we've had some crazy weather, I'll tell you what. Uh, in Texas, East Texas, five people died and nearly 50 people were hospitalized after a series of tornado hit there, tornadoes. Um, that was on Saturday. Powerful storms swept through Canton and areas of Texas, about 50 miles east of Dallas. Say it left behind a trail of overturned vehicles, mangled trees, and damaged homes. And at the same time, in a similar, you know, within a day or so, there was a snowstorm that socked New Mexico, closed highways and state museums. The National Weather Service uh, reported that road conditions in north and central New Mexico a couple of days ago were going to be treacherous as a significant amount of snow and blowing snow hit along Interstate 25 and Interstate 40. They uh, reported closures on I-25 and Highway 64 near Ranton as of Saturday afternoon, and the Albuquerque Journal reported that state-run museums in Santa Fe were closed due to weather. So they have had uh, freezing warnings and uh, all kinds of problems out there. So we've had tornadoes and uh, frigid weather with snow 
often go hand in hand as the uh, fronts collide and one side of the country, one, asp- one side of the front is very cold and the other side is having tornadic storms and that's what's been going on. Well, we haven't talked about stray birds for a while, so it's time to report on one. Have any of you ever seen an American red-winged blackbird? They are yes. gorgeous. Aren't they yes. gorgeous? <clears throat> well, guess where one of our blackbirds turned up? In Scotland. <laughs> Bird watchers in Scotland are chartering planes to fly to a place called Orkney to spot this blackbird, which has never been seen before in the United Kingdom. And it is the red-winged blackbird, which is an American species, which was spotted in Scotland on a, on a North Island uh, last Saturday, just a few days ago. How'd you get up there? Wow. Goodness wow. sakes. Now, you know, I just thought, I had to scratch my head on that one, I thought. You know, birders are pretty devote, devout, excuse me, and uh, devo- devout and devoted. <laughs> and they really get into it. But, you know, can you imagine ch- chartering a plane to co- spot a blackbird or any kind of bird? I mean... Come on, it could fly away. It could fly away in the next five minutes. <laughs> so I don't know if they tied it to a branch or what, but that seems pretty risky to me. I mean, you know, I try to watch for hawks and big birds and stuff, and, you know, when I see them, I get all enraptured, and, of course, I'm in love with them, and I turn my head and look back, and they're gone. So I I just can't imagine chartering a plane, but that's what they did, and I would be interested on the follow-up story if, if when they got there, the blackbird was still there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody notified the bird that they were on their way to watch it or what. I doubt if he reads uh, the paper and, and knew what was going on. So, you know, nature doesn't <laughs> always comply with our efforts to try to uh, nail down an experience, but uh, I wish them well. Anyway, I hope the blackbird finds his way back home. But Well, uh, Hawaii. Boy, you know, we often think about going to Hawaii and lounging on the beaches and Dreaming About Living in Paradise, and this was kind of a disturbing story. The title is Paradise Lost. Hawaii is home to one of the world's dirtiest beaches. Did any of you know that? I didn't know that. Well, the article says that the tropical islands of Hawaii are known for their beautiful white beaches and clear waters, and it's hard to imagine one of these destinations also to be considered one of the dirtiest beaches in the world. Where is it? called Camillo Point, a beach in the rural Kau district of the big island of Hawaii, and they say it's a wasteland. Despite its pockets of lava rock and beautiful natural wildlife, they say the ocean's currents are so powerful that the winds deposit thousands of pounds of man-made trash on the beach every year. They call it Plastic Beach. It's its nickname, and it has been known to host hairbrushes, cigarette lighters, shards of plastic as well as water bottles and all of this stuff washes up on their beach every week so really what are we going to do about the junk in the ocean how concerning Uh, anyway so if you're scheduling a trip to Hawaii you might want to skip Camillo Beach if I said that properly better yet we ought to charter a group to go clean it up that would be nice but we'd have to live there that wouldn't be so bad would it that wouldn't be so bad. There. That'd be a good job. Yeah. yeah, be a good job. Clean up the beach day after day. It'd be great. I'd love to do that. That'd take a lot of us, though. Well, DARPA's on the move again with some of its experimentation and its research, always, of course. Uh, targeted neuroplasticity training program. What does that mean? Well, DARPA is wanting to hack our brains to make us learn faster, 
specifically to hack the brains of soldiers to make them learn faster. Now, if the brain is a bunch of wires and circuits, well, it sort of is. It stands to reason that those components can simply be rewired in order to create a better, smarter person. And that's the theory behind a project from the military's DARPA research branch. They announced last Wednesday that they plan to enhance human cognitive ability by activating what is known as synaptic plasticity. Now, recent research has suggested that stimulating certain peripheral nerves, those that relay signals between the brain, the spinal cord, and the rest of the body, can enhance a person's ability to learn by triggering the release of neurochemicals that reorganize connections in the brain. Well, through its new targeted neuroplasticity training program, DARPA is funding eight different research efforts that seek to enhance learning by targeting those nerves with electrical stimulation. Now, the end goal is to translate those findings into real-world applications that boost military training. They say allowing a soldier to maybe learn a language much faster than he normally would, maybe in a month instead of a year. Well, you can bet that if DARPA actually makes this happen, um, those efforts will likely be uh, disseminated all throughout society and probably will impact everyone at some point in the future. Uh, artificial training for the brain, electrical stimulation, and um, making us smarter. That's what they plan on doing. Well, did you know? Only some science, of us. What? <laughs> Only some, some right. of us. Only right. some of us. They don't want. They really don't want a smart population. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the <laughs> yeah. truth? It's all upside down, Ariel. You know, they say everything yeah. they don't mean. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, according to Science uh, uh, Magazine, your wireless router may be giving you away in a manner that you never dreamed of. Oh, boy, for the paranoid personalities among us, let our hair stand on end. Okay, this raises your eyebrows and, and uh, makes you go, what? Okay, well, for the first time, physicists have used radio waves from a Wi-Fi transmitter to encode a 3D image of a real object in a hologram similar to the image of Princess Leia projected by, guess who, R2-D2 in the movie Star Wars. You all remember that. He pushed it, you know, his little button came on, and there was Leia talking and spinning around. Well, they've done it. And they say that in principle, the technique could enable outsiders to see the inside of a room using only the Wi-Fi signals leaking out of it. Now, the idea came about a few years ago, says an expert on quantum sensors at the Technical University of Munich. He says, at lunch we had a discussion about what the world would look through Wi-Fi eyes, and it became clear that if you want to see the world through Wi-Fi, you could make a hologram. Well, a camera, to make a hologram, you take a camera that makes an image by collecting light that's reflected from an object and focusing it onto a screen to create a 2D pattern of greater or lesser intensity. And then in contrast, that's just what a camera does, I'm sorry. But the hologram more fully exploits the wave nature of light. It uses lasers, very typically, and the laser beam is split. It creates a reference beam and the initial laser beam, and it's the interference of the two sets of waves that creates the pattern or the hologram. And what they're essentially saying is that when they can tap into your Wi-Fi signals, the random signals, the leaking signals from your Wi-Fi, they can reconstruct the interior of the room where your, hi-fi, where your Wi-Fi is located. So, there you go. 
wild. I mean, wild. It's just getting wilder and wilder. Forget privacy, folks. That's just a thing of the past. Well, this is a humorous article. I had to share this with you. Ladies, listen up. An Indian state minister has armed some 700 brides with wooden bats to be used in self-defense should their husbands ever raise a hand on them. The article goes on to say that the police won't intervene. And uh, so the minister did. Uh, they gave, he gave them foot-long wooden bats and gave them as gifts at a mass marriage ceremony uh, by a minister in the state of Madhya Pradesh in India and instructed these brides to use them on husbands if they turn alcoholic or exhibit harassing behavior. <laughs> That's for real. That's no joke. Wow. Is that wild? Okay, moving on. Uh, this is a very disturbing story. I'm so disturbed by it. I, I'm really sitting here debating whether or not I want to share it with you. But actually, I um, I put it in the news because I really thought you ought to know about it. And so we all have to be strong as I share this with you because it's really tough. And I really don't want to share it, but I think you should know about it. So um, this is a, a, a story about rattlesnake slaughter festivals. Any of you ever known about that? You heard about that? If you live out west, I'll bet you know about it. You know, people don't like snakes. Um, people really find it hard to relate to snakes. And I lived out west. I lived in uh, the southern uh, Red Rock country of the west and uh, rattlesnake country. And I've had rattlesnakes in my backyard, and the neighbors would freak. Everybody would freak. You call the animal control, and they come and loop them in a stick with a loop, and they carry them off. And and, uh, everybody's panicked because snakes are territorial, and they say that they'll make their way back. And, oh, my, you know, they hate snakes. And I would walk out into the desert. I probably shouldn't tell you this. And I would lay down in the in the sand and put my head on a nice hot rock and take a nap and uh, be with nature. And uh, everybody thought I was nuts because the snakes are everywhere out there. So people are really freaked by snakes. Well, um, advocates of snake preservation say that snakes are social animals, rattlesnakes in particular, and snakes are social animals that form strong family bonds and that they have much more in, in uh, common with people than we realize. Rattlesnakes give birth to live babies. They take care of their babies for the first couple of weeks of their lives. They keep them warm and safe. And in some rattlesnakes, the mothers will come together in the later parts of their pregnancies, and they will gestate the eggs together, or gestate together. And then they'll give live birth at the same spot, and they'll take care of each other's babies. They're very intelligent animals. But each year, rattlesnake families are torn apart when people capture thousands thousands of these animals to slaughter them at a roundup festival in Texas, Oklahoma, and other U.S. states. They capture them by dumping gasoline into their dens, which makes it impossible for the snake families to breathe underground. While the roundup supposedly started maybe 50 years ago to keep the rattlesnake populations down, and of course this was all about protecting livestock, and animal advocates argue that these killings are unnecessary. There's no science to suggest that there are too many rattlesnakes or that we even need roundups to control them. So, you know, this is the underside. As the story goes on, the belt, the underbelly gets darker and darker. It's very disturbing. Uh, 
really some are suggesting that the real purpose of these roundups are financial gains because each event brings in lots of tourists, maybe 30,000 people. And they conduct these roundups like a fair. They have fried bread and funnel cakes and park rides and flea market and a gun show. And then there's the snake executions. Well, after spending maybe months in boxes without food or water, the snakes arrive at the festival week. Um, They're hungry, they're dehydrated, and they're tossed into a communal pit. And while they're in that pit, the Roundup guys are wading through the pit, kicking the snakes around. And um, uh, the snakes will start to rattle their tails. Now, they're terrified. The snakes are terrified. Who wouldn't be terrified? They're rattling their tails not because they're mean, they're being abused, and they're terrified. And um, they make a big show and display about the rattlers and the noise and all of that. And the story goes on to say that... that, that um, I'm going to leave a lot of this out. Uh, after that, they take the snakes to the venom milk, milking area where they uh, force these snakes to uh, spit their venom. And... Uh, um, They sell the venom, of course, but some research companies refuse to take it um, because they hurt the snakes in these events. But then they take the snakes to the killing pit, and they cut off their heads, which doesn't really kill them, and then they shoot them. And then uh, they invite children, this is horrible, um, to uh, skin the animals, uh, put their hands in the blood, and put handprints on the white wall and sign their name next to it. And then the snakes' skins are made into boots, wallets, and trinkets. And the meat is cooked up and served at the snack bar. Uh, well, I can't believe this is America. This it, is it, happening in uh, America. Does it leave you? I mean, I, I, it's, it's painful. Well, they also have these in Oklahoma. And the article goes on to say that the Oklahoma snake roundups, roundups, which take place this month, are run in a similar manner to the one in Sweetwater, Texas, but with a few differences. They're much smaller, fewer people go, and they kill the snakes out of public view. Uh, and some of these uh, animal advocates say that what they do in Oklahoma is even worse. Uh, they throw snakes in a freezer until they can't move. Then they sew their mouths shut so they can basically hand these snakes to the public so people can have their pictures taken with them. Oh, my God. Clear violation to animal cruelty laws in Oklahoma. I mean, why do we... What What the... What the... So, um, that is really a uh, very disturbing picture of human beings. And um, I thought you ought to know about it hard as it is to know to talk about it. Had you had you ever known about this, Ariel? No, I, I never heard about that, and, and I hope I never hear about it again. I hope they do something about it, and hopefully, you know, it is something more people, that, you know, uh, you, have to, you have to be aware of something before you can change it. Well, absolutely, and, and I think a lot of us, we're like, not aware, you know. No, no, not aware, and we'll have starseed that live in these vicinities, and so on and so forth, but you know, Whatever, um, we need to know what's going on. So there you have it. Sorry, but just reporting the news. I know All right. that wasn't well, easy a study, for you, but thank uh, you. I'm sorry. I know that yeah, wasn't I'm sorry. easy I'm for I'm sorry, you. too. I mean, it's terrible. But there it is. All right. Well, a study has suggested that human beings were in North America 100,000 years earlier than previously believed. What do you know about that? 
surprised. I know that. Huh? Hundred thousand years earlier. A hundred thousand years earlier, um, and the way they did this, they they got the evidence from an archaeological site in San Diego, California, and uh, they did this by uh, dating the tools in a different way. They used uranium dating. It's a long article, and, and I went on about the snake, so I'm going to cut this short. But anyway, uh, by dating these uh, uh, stone anvils and hammer stones and mastodon bones using uranium, uranium dating, they believe they found firm evidence that uh, humans were using uh, these tools to break apart bones, mastodons, uh, mastodon bones, and other uh, other kinds of bones and make tools uh, about uh, 130,000 years ago. And there's, of course, this is upsetting people who say that uh, there were only humans in North America 15,000 years ago, uh, but it started controversy, and uh, uh, they're beginning to discuss it now and look into it. So there you go. Well, here's a cute story. Thank goodness for a cute story. Uh, um, But people are crazy, you know. Police have responded to a report of a cat in a tree armed with a gun. That's right. You should see this photograph because you kind of have to see it to appreciate it. There's a photo here, and I'm looking at it, of a cute little calico cat. He's white with a black mask. Kind of crouched down in a beautiful tree up in the top. And he's uh, looking exactly like he's holding an AK-47. Well, uh, this innocent cat hanging out in a tree uh, may have come within a whisker of losing its life on Thursday as a concerned passerby reported it to police as being armed with a rifle. Police in Newport, Oregon, arrived at the scene after receiving reports that a black and white cat was hiding in a tree armed with an assault rifle. When they got there, they (laughs) saw that the cat merely had its paw resting on a twig. That looks like an assault (laughs) rifle. Well, they said they let the cat off with a warning, and that was the end of that. But, and it really does look like a gun. It's a hoot. But uh, I can't imagine anybody really call the police. Okay, there you go. Well, that's it for tonight's Starseed News. From my heart to you, all of you, much love and peace and light through the coming week until we talk again. And appreciate all of you. And it's spring. It's beautiful out there. So if you're doing in the, if you're into gardening, it's time to plant, and enjoy the fruits of your labors later. Right, Ariel? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, all right. Many blessings to all of you. Next week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anastasia. And we will hear more news next week. Um, so now I am going to um, go and get Lavendar's mic open, and our guest and Crawford get your mic open okay ladies you're on the air welcome to the show Anne. thank you it's so wonderful to be here oh we're very happy to have you with us this evening Lavender are you there I'm here okay okay Anne. I love this book I, I uh, read it and I <laughs> called you but but you didn't answer but I because I wanted to talk to you as I was reading the book But welcome, my friend, and let's hear all about how this book came about, called Spell Weaver. Thank you. Thank you. I got your message, and I called you back, but, oh, my goodness, I'm glad you love it. It, This book came to me in 1999. I was traveling through Scotland, and um, I was traveling to the island of Iona, and you have to take two buses across two islands and two ferries to get to Iona. 
So there was a lot of thinking time, and I was looking at all the mountains, and I just, I traveled back. I Those mountains were my mountains. I felt myself living there, and um, that's when it started. I just knew I had a lifetime there, and then flash to Kansas <laughs> in 2006, my sister and I were driving down a back street in rural Kansas, and I I started telling her about a book I was thinking about writing about this life in Scotland, and she told me the story from the sister's point of view, and she said that this woman that she had once been was very concerned about the person that I had once been. And this is my older sister. My mom was very sick um, when I was growing up, and my sister really was my caretaker. And so here she was telling me that she assured this person from this previous life that she had taken really good care of me in this lifetime. So by this time, the two of us were just crying as we were remembering this life from the other person's point of view. And I said, I have to, I just have to write this book. And it's taken me 11 years to write it. And I I did other, I wrote other books in the meantime and published them too. Um, But it it took so long because, I, I mean, I was writing about the witch hunts not exactly a rousing, fun thing to be writing about, but I finally just wrote the harsh part in a very um, just a few pages, and I got that done. And it's more a love story, not only of the heroine Catriona and the man she meets, but also a love story of these two sisters and a love story of the whole village. And so I finally got her done and here it is i'm so happy i just adore this story well i'd like to, i'd like to read from your book if i might okay sure i'm going to start with chapter one i loved her more than life itself and i killed her i was not the man who came to snatch her away from us nor nor was i the man disgusting servile toad-eater who lit the fire under her with such a look of glee on his face. I might as well have been, though, because I didn't stop it. I killed her just the same. But this was a woman who couldn't be killed, truly. You could take the life from her, but you couldn't take her from life. For once she lived here, the world was never to be the same. Oh, just imagine a woman who is so in love with living, so in love with the break of each new dawn, so in love with her body, even so in love with the very air around her, for that's how she moved. That's how she glided through her day. That's how she danced on the hillsides. That's how she bathed under the waterfall. That's how she slept. That's how she ate. It was like she was making love to the water, to the sky, to her nighttime dreams, and how fortunate was her food to be chosen by her, to be turned in such a life and ultimately such love. It was like she was making love to life, every minute of her day, every minute of her too short life, and I took that life from her. Oh, I did love her. I didn't know that love could kill anyone. I thought only hate did that, but I loved her so much I killed her. What she, 
when she was taken, I thought I would regret it for all eternity. I just love the way you wrote about her at the very beginning. In fact, uh-huh. you set it up in such a way that I didn't know who was, was telling this story until the very end. You did a really good job with that, Anne, keeping me in Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, that was definitely by design. You don't yeah. know who's saying, who's saying what at some points. But one of the points of the book is how she's described, we all have that capability. We all can be making love to life every minute of the day. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And that and the picture on the front. Where did you get this picture? Oh, a dear friend of mine did it. So, um, someone I went to high school with, and she moved to Colorado a few years ago, and we reconnected. And she's a graphic designer, and that's actually a picture from Scotland, and that's how I pictured it. Well, did Her you mouth. notice the faces that? Or in in the in the rocks. Well, now that you mention it, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my I goodness! I hadn't before, and I am a rock face noticer. <laughs> oh, how beautiful they are! Three masterful <laughs> statues, you know, in the rocks. Yeah, it's like uh, three sisters. Yeah. Oh my goodness! How beautiful! So true. I thank you for that. <laughs> So what did your family think when you wrote this book? Well, my sister loves it, the one sister. I have, I'm the youngest of five, so I have three sisters and a brother. And um, so I've just told one of them so far. (laughs) I know how bad this could be. (laughs) We were um, raised Catholic, and our parents were actually pretty liberal Democrats, but we've all gone in completely different directions. So we still adore each other, though, but we do not discuss religion and politics. Yeah. So, and that way we it, we, we just let the love shine and we don't bring up what we wouldn't agree on. Right. Okay. So they well, don't you know, know about it, this. It took me just only about two hours to read this. It, it's not a big book. It's, it's a nice no, read. No, no, it's it's, it's pretty the kind of read that you want to do on an airplane ride. This is an airplane ride book. Yeah. Yeah. God, now it. That. I, I I tried to make it longer, and the book just said, "Nope, I'm done now." <laughs> That's all she and wrote. And I noticed it took place in 1597 in Scotland. That just came to me, and I did look up what the things that happened in 1597, like who was the Queen of England at the time. And um, I did look up a a few other things, like when the last witch hunts were from that time. So, But that's just the date that made itself known to me. The thing I thought was interesting is how you described when the men would come, uh, strangers would come to town, Looking for the women that did herbs, and right. finding the lady, the women that did herbs, that was always the clue to find witches, right? Right, right. I mean, witches were basically the healers, and the church was threatened by them, so they snuffed them out. So there was no rivalry, no competition. 
so that the church could have the supreme last word. If we, if we all knew that we had this power within ourselves, we wouldn't need a huge church like that. Well, that's that's why they did it, to, to control right. the people. And they're still trying to do it. But right. see, now that we have the Internet and so much information floating around, it's hard to, con, you know, to corral the, the the people like they used to. You know, right. keep them in, in, in their, um, what, what am I trying to say? Keep them in their, in their cages <laughs> or whatever you want. Right, to and giving over money and power. All about and, money. Right, right. One thing when Anastasia was talking about the snakes, one of the lines in my book is, it's a young planet. <laughs> because, I mean, what? what sensible person would go hunting human beings or snakes and so yes it's a young planet and our job we're here to make it wiser as best we can well when she was talking about the the um the snake roundup they have them about 15 miles from me and it's this oh weekend. wow this weekend and usually i try to leave town <laughs> i don't even want to be in the area because there's right. nothing about when they start um, doing the roundup, men will go out for and and they hold hands and go across these fields and they and they um, get all the snakes going in one direction and for some reason it sets off some kind of weird vibration in this part of the country every year when they do that. Wow. Well, of course, not surprising, right? I was kind of surprised that she brought up the, the snake story, but it's it's where I live. <laughs> it's right. where I live. I get to get to hear all about it. People go, "Oh, don't you want to go over?" I said, "No, I do not want to be anywhere near when that takes no. place." No, no. But tell us. I know you've got a lot of high strangeness stories. Uh, how about telling us about the blue people at Mount Shasta? Well, in at when it was um, on New Year's Eve of 2013-2014, I was there with my sister, the same sister, and we went up on the mountain, and sudden, I was leaning on a tree, and suddenly I was inside the mountain. And my sister came by, and she said, I'm going to go for a walk. Do you want to come? And I said, um, I'm inside the mountain right now. <laughs> And she said, oh, okay, I'll leave you be. I'll be back in an hour. So I went back inside the mountain, and these little blue people with big black eyes with the most love I've ever felt in my life just had me on a table and were working on me, and I could see up through to the top of the mountain, and they were just loving me up, just laying their hands on me, shining light on me, just the love was palpable. And a while later, I felt myself leaning against the tree again, and I said, oh, well, that was fast. I guess I'm out. And they said, oh, no, you're still in here. You will be for at least 24 hours. So I was. I went back up on the mountain the next day and sat there, with them just loving me up, although they'd been doing it the whole time. And one of the things I said to them was, you know, I'm very spiritual. I'm very good in the spiritual realm. What I could use some help with is in the 3D realm. 
so how how can I improve in that world? And they said, love more. And I said, well, that's kind of obvious. And they said, no, love ev- with every bite of food. Love that food with every sip of water. Love that water. Love yourself. When you walk into a 7-Eleven, love it up. Light it up. They, Everybody can feel it, and that's your job. Just love more every second of the day. And that has been my mantra, and the 3D world has just gotten magnificent in addition to the spiritual world, which has gotten even more magnificent. And then my husband and I went there last Thanksgiving. And they I hadn't really seen the blue people since I'd been there before, but we went last Thanksgiving, and there they were again. And this time, they're with me all the time. They They did the same thing. They loved me up, but now I can feel them with me all the time. And every now and then I'll ask a question like, when's such and such going to happen? And their answer is, when do you want it to happen and create that? Well, I just say, okay. <laughs> so the the blue people, uh, do you know what race they're from? Or were no, they, were I, they I small mean, or were they tall? No, they were very small. And I know um, blue, you, you know, I thought they were Lemurian, but... I've been told that they're not um, from other people who know the people around there. I mean, do you have any ideas? I I, I just know that the Pleiadians have a blue race that they right. have, that um, likes to uh, live underground. So I was just wondering if it was them. Right. Um, it could be them. I just love them. And so after you both. had this experience, is this when your writing started? No, I've been writing for years, okay. but um, it got easier <laughs> since that. Sure. When sure. I first met them, that was right around the time I published my previous book. So um, it, it could be tied together. So are, do you consider them your guides or do you have other guides that you work with now? I have a circle of archangels and masters, and the circle came to me, the circle of beings came to me, and over the years, the faces have filled in of who they are, and I always knew who was right next to me, and that's Yeshua. So it's it's Yeshua, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, Anna, Katumi, Uriel, Gabriel, Raphael, Metatron, Melchizedek, Sanat Kamara, and Archangel Michael. And they they are there every night when I go to sleep. I, I'm in that circle. And when I wake up, I'm in that circle with them. And when I think of them throughout the day, I'm in the circle. They never answer questions. What happens with them is I sit and I ask a question, and the energy goes up so high, so such a high octave that the question doesn't matter anymore. So what that answer means to me is that living at that high octave, it's all answered. Whatever I want will come in its right time. So you're quite a manifester, aren't you? Um, 
Absolutely, yes, especially of husbands. <laughs> Sorry, not at the same time. It was one after the other. <laughs> I remember um, in 1989, a friend of mine, just, it was one of those moments, and what do you want? And I said, and it was one of those moments where my high self just answered, I want to travel around the world. And she didn't say, oh, my God, that's ridiculous, forget it. She said, get your passport, write your itinerary. And the next thing I knew, I was on my way around the world. And right before I left, another friend said, so what do you want from this trip? I said, very laughingly, a husband. (laughs) Well, I met him three weeks into the trip, and he was wonderful. He was a beaut, is, still is. Just a beautiful being, and we were together 15 years, and we outgrew each other, and, you know, I'll always love him. He's one of my best friends and always will be, um, but our, we outgrew each other, and it was time to move on to something else. So when we broke up, all of a sudden, I found myself talking to God in my bedroom or talking to the universe and just saying out loud what I wanted in my next husband. Well, at at that month that I started having those conversations with life in my bedroom, my husband, my current husband, wrote out a list of 40 things that he wanted in his next and last wife. And he was specific. They were one-third physical, one-third emotional, intellectual, and one-third spiritual. So it was... um, he wanted someone between a woman between 5'10 and 6 feet tall. I'm 5'11. He wanted someone with blue eyes that sparkle. Well, they do. <laughs> he wanted someone um, with long, long legs. He didn't just say long legs. He said long. My my inseam is 36 inches. So he and then he also said things like at peace with her world, well read intelligent, loves music, lots of things like that. I was 39 and a half of those 40 things. So I just feel like he called me in. And the last thing on his list was she has her own list, and I meet all of her criteria. And I did, and he does. And I had things like spiritual powerhouse, tall and built, because I'm tall, I wanted tall and built. Um, And so... We we just pulled each other in. He was in Kansas, I was in California, and there it was. That so, so how did you meet him? How did you? What was your? Did you walk in and see him in a room, or did people introduce you, or how did you meet him? No, we met on eHarmony. Really? <laughs> yes, which is the only way we ever would have met because as we joked our um our interstates never met i was always on 80 and he was always on 70 <laughs> but um when you get married eHarmony sends you a crystal bowl from tiffany's i thought that was a very nice act but yeah i have other friends who've gotten married from online matchups and stuff so but yeah, that's how we did. But we felt like we called each other in. We were so specific. So for me, manifesting is about 93% clarity 
and 7% surrender, just having a good time no matter what is on the outside anyway. Wow. No. Well, I, I noticed that you've uh, been very involved in writing of screenplays and movies. Um, I really saw The Spellweaver as a movie. I oh. Guess. I could see yeah. it the time I was reading it. Yeah. Well, the last book I wrote, Angels on Overtime, I'm working on the screenplay of that. When you had me on your show for that, you also that was the first thing you said, this should be a movie. <laughs> well, I'm working on it. And then once I get the book launch done, I'll work on the screenplay for Spellweaver. But I also have another book in my heart that's clamoring to be written, too. The next one is going to be a comedy. The last one was a comedy. This one was just deep and fabulous. And then the next one will be a comedy. Yeah, this one is pretty deep. I didn't really... Uh, there wasn't much laughing when I was reading this. <laughs> no. Very serious subject. Uh, uh, especially, you know, since I have um, been researching a lot about the... Uh, the witch trials and the persecution of people on the planet. and But I must say that since 2012, for some reason, I'm not finding a lot of persecution records in people like they used to be. It's like a, an eraser has happened. Either people are working on themselves and getting rid of it, or else the some big fairy is coming down overnight with a big eraser, and when they wake up, they just don't have the memories anymore. Or maybe it's wow. all the above. But I'm seeing a oh. definite shift with people that used to be so afraid to speak their truth, and now they're standing on soapboxes yelling it from the top of their lungs. Yeah. Well, when I wrote the book, I did. I that was part of what took so long, is I didn't want it to be a downer. I wanted it to be uplifting. So that was a challenge given the subject matter. But one, I know you just mentioned that since 2012, things have started fading away. But I do feel like, in a in a certain regard, we're in another dark time now. Recently, since November, but um, and it's a time to lift ourselves up, and be as powerful and use all our capabilities as we can, and just shine light and lift this place up. And he won't be here very long, and he doesn't have the power. We, as Sessions said, some guy in the Pacific has more power than he does because we're not, we're not putting up with it anymore. Right. Well, I think that all that's happened so far with the election and all the people that are in, say that they're in power now, I think it's just so that the people can finally rise up and and make changes. I think right. that have gone beyond 55 critical mass and that um, when when that happens, the people just won't stand for it anywhere. One of the things that really upset me the most recently was when he signed an executive order to open up all the federal lands on all the national parks. Right. So now the, the, the lumberjacks can go in and cut down the trees and now the oil men can go in and drill oil. And I just... But the- but it's, the oil industry is dying. The economy is moving towards solar, and they're going to have to realize that, that there are more jobs in the solar industry than there are in the oil industry now. It's shifting, and they can't stop it. I know. That's true. Yeah. 
So I think that we're just really witnessing um, a lot of things that are coming to an end. And, and, and those of us that are starseed on the planet, especially the ones that were born after 1980, I really look to them to be bringing the new children that have the new blueprints that just won't stand for, for the kind of things that we're seeing now. I think these right. new kids are going to grab a hold of it, and they're going to rise up and and be counted. And right, I, and just say, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is how it's done. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> So what is your next book about? What did you say your next book was about? Well, I spent a year in L.A. recently. I was a talent manager, and it was so much fun. And it's about um, people in the acting world. Actors are very spiritual people. I was I was surprised at how deep and wide and spiritual they are. And so it's a comedy, as I said, but it's also going to be very deep and fabulous yeah. <laughs> if I say so myself <laughs> well good so um, I'm seeing what time it is and I uh, I would like to share you with Ariel in the switchboard and if there's anyone that wants to call in and talk to you um, would you be willing to talk to some of our guests sure absolutely as I said um, I'm not a reader and or an intuitive so much so I know they get most of the questions but I'll answer any questions anyone has and also can I put out that tomorrow is the actual book launch of this book but if the Starseed family would love to help get it going and help prime the pump it's on sale on Amazon now so you can just go to Spellweaver and my, with my name Ann Crawford and you'll see it right there and you'll see that glorious picture with the rock faces. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was preoccupied with what was going inside. (laughs) But yes, if if, um, as I said, tomorrow's the launch, but if anybody wants to go get one now or whenever you hear this, that that would just be wonderful. We have a lot of people that listen in the archives, so all week long. People will be, you know, checking in to see, uh, to hear our show. Right. So, Ariel, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, and we'll talk later. And I'll be doing your solar return, honey, next week. I'll, I'll be calling you. Like, looking forward to it. Thank you. Honey. Much Bye-bye. love. Bye bye. Great. Ariel, well, this has just been. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hello, this has been fascinating, and. Um, at, at this time, if anyone is listening already on the switchboard, if you have a question or comment uh, for Anne, you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to come on the air. If you're listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1 so we um, have that indication that you want to come on the air with a question. So... Um, while we're waiting to to see if anyone has a question or comment, um, I want to talk about um, your other books, uh, in especially Mary's message. Uh, because, and and you said that you know they are they're with you all the time. So tell us tell us about the um, um, motivation for writing Mary's message, and what is it? Well, I have some beautiful friends who live in India who a lot of people in India think that Yeshua survived the crucifixion 
and actually went there both before and after his teaching years. And so that was what started it. But I also had memories of that time period, um, just being there and feeling the power of these two people. And also, um, I was raised Catholic, and every time they mentioned Mary being a prostitute, I would, you know, at six, seven years old, I'd say, oh, no, she wasn't. <laughs> so in this book, she's, she's a high priestess and a, an equal, a peer to Yeshua, and they both taught. He was the more outspoken one, but she was just as strong, just as powerful. And their message... You know, it was such a dense time on the planet. It couldn't be heard, but it can be heard now. And do you want to kind of um, give us the the thumbnail uh, version of what is the message? Well, to love each other, that you're so much more powerful, that you're not dust of the earth, you're not a worm in the dust, you are as you are as gods, you are powerful, you prime creator, pure source made us to be awake and aware and as powerful as any as powerful as the winds, as powerful as any force on earth. We are a power to be reckoned with too and we can harness it and use it for the greater good. I feel like that's basically what he was saying, and it got so misconstrued and mistranslate, mistranslated over the years. Well, yeah, or completely omitted. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Bible is a is a uh, contrivance of you know completely. what a group of men thought you know ought to be um, believed by people. So, I mean, it's just, uh, and you're right, it has been mistranslated. So, you know, while right. there is, I mean, there is um, a, it's a wonderful book, but I wouldn't view it as a, a historical um, a, fact. <laughs> apparently at the Nicene Conference in the 3rd century, um that's when it was decided that he would be elevated to the level of God because otherwise no one would listen to what he was saying. So that's how that happened. Meanwhile, he was saying beautiful things. And one of the things I say in the book is if we understand that these two people were more like us being human, then perhaps we could be more like them being wise and powerful. And I have them as a very powerful couple, that they were married and they had a family. And, I mean, even in the Bible, how he got the wine, a man wasn't allowed to get the wine unless he was the groom. So he it could have been the, his own wedding that they were referring to. So it's just interesting. Right. All of this right. is like those highlights game of find the missing, find the hidden pictures in the big picture. <laughs> That's right. what all of this is, I think. We're just finding all the messages in the hidden pictures in everything that's right in front of us. 
Well, well, I think it's um, it's a, a lot easier to talk about today than, um, gosh, even you know, ten years ago. Right. Because it's it's not. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to really fear for your life. You know, like in the older times, if you if you said anything contrary to what was in the Bible, then you were a heretic. And um, you know, there's a lot of persecution of people, especially you know the, the like the Cathars, who who did adhere to the original teachings, and then they were um, they were persecuted because of that. Right. So, yeah. So, are the killers burned at the stake? <laughs> so, in your yeah. in your travels, I mean, you've been around the world twice, right? So, technically, I've lost days in my life because <laughs> I passed the international yeah. state line twice, and I never went back the other way. <laughs> so. Oh, well, um, did you go to southern France? Yes, yes, but. The times I was there was before I had this kind of awakening, so I'm looking forward to going back with with this understanding. I mean, I I was somewhat awake, but not enough to go exploring and looking into the the messages that are there. But I will. And what about um, England? Did you go to the you know the hot spots? Uh, um with it Glastonbury and um yeah, and places like that. And, and yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, my favorite places what, though are Iona, the island of Iona as I mentioned it in the beginning of the call. That is such a magical mystical place. And then the old city of Jerusalem and Kathmandu. Those are my top 3. Wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I <laughs> I I think I mean, from what your description this this island um is off the coast of Scotland and so you have to take uh, ferries to get there. Is that what yeah, you Yeah, one said? ferry then you go across an island on a bus, then another ferry, then another island on a bus and then another ferry. So it's really off the beaten track. And we took a cab wow. from the um from the main station out to the ferry and the guy was driving like a crazy guy and we passed an accident and he goes, oh, that's what happens when you don't know the turns, you end up in a lock. I mean, it was just such a crazy, the whole thing was just <laughs> And to, just to get there and then the island itself, I mean, all of Earth is alive and whispering to us when we listen to it. And... I think for for me that was the first time I really heard an island talking to me, land talking to me. So it was just magical. Wow. So um, let me just uh, repeat to our audience: if you have a a comment or question on on any of Anne's books, uh, if you're already on the switchboard, then just press one so we know you want to come on the air, and. Um, if you're listening on the computer, then pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And um, while we're waiting to see, I want to talk about your um, other book that we haven't talked about yet called Visioning. Tell us about that. Well, that one I wrote, I just sat down and wrote in 12 days. It was just, it just, 
was a download straight from the above people who wanted to talk through me and it's about and it's it's about manifesting and just putting forth what we want be, and it can be summarized i mean re, still it's a great book to read but it can be summarized by those two things i mentioned to lavender clarity and surrender just having a good time anyway um but just speaking it speaking of that this took 12 days then Mary took basically a summer. Then Angels took a year of Sundays because I was literally I was editing a magazine and I literally wrote this on Sundays. And then Spellweaver, as I mentioned, took ten years. So they're all they're completely across the gamut. And that's one thing I do talk to people about is if they ever have writer's block or just some block to the creative flow coming through them. What I did for Spellweaver was just show up at the appointed place and time. I have a writing nook, and my writing time is 8 o'clock in the morning, so I would just turn on my iPod to the playlist for writing, and that's like Pavlov's dog. That just gets me in the mood. So just showing up to the place, to the appointment, with the muse is what did it for me. And that's what I would recommend if anybody ever comes across a blockage there. You know, I've, I've had, um, we've had other um, writers and we have a lot of star seeds that are um, in the middle of writing or in the beginning stages. And I think that is really um, good because everybody gets to, you know, a place where they kind of get stuck. But, I've heard from a lot of people that you have to keep a schedule. If, you know, the muses or the guides or, you know, any other energies, entities that you work with. Um, And I I think it's it's kind of strange because if you show up at the same place at the same time ready, you know, to go, then that seems to facilitate the flow right but yet on the other hand there's no space and time outside of the third dimension so uh, you understand what i'm saying it seems like a little bit of a paradox (laughs) you know you got to show up on time and there is no time for them but uh, i guess there's a rhythm to it that that right remember telling a friend once that it's as i heard once the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair so perhaps it isn't even the time, since there is no time. It's just the motion, the showing up, the being available. Right, yeah. And like I said, there's there's got to be a rhythm to it when right. you know, it's the same time of day for you, so you get into that that kind of groove and... and uh, um, yeah, I mean, we had we had some, some guests, uh, uh, was it last week or the week before, and that she said the same thing when she does her channeling. She's got to go in the in the same chair in the same place at the same time, and and then it flows. And if she you know breaks away from that, then she has to get back into it again. So yeah, that's very interesting. And um, I also had a, a, a another um, author say, well, I'm trying to remember what she said. Um, oh, don't edit while you're writing. <laughs> Just let it come out. No. Is that what you (laughs) – would you agree with that? No, just let it come. The editing can definitely come later. And 
you know, it doesn't have to be linear. It could be the beginning, back to the end, back to the beginning, in the middle, all over. It can come, the linear stuff can come later. Just the impulse stuff needs to come through first, I think. And I have my phone with me all the time, and I speak into the notes all the time because things are always coming to me throughout the day. They don't stop. So in the middle of the night, I'll get up and be typing into my phone. Oh, that's a great line. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to write these things down because it's like, oh, I'll remember. It's like, no, you won't. You've got to write it down or or fix fix it somehow. Or if I'm in a place where I can't can't write it down, I'll think of the core word of it. So I'll at least remember the core word, which will help me remember it later, and then I can write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so um, back to the the techniques of visioning. Uh, I know you said it was. Would you say ninety ninety seven percent clarity and seven percent surrender? Where where it's it's you know already it's already done and if it isn't done the way you want it it's fine anyway and in that magic place of not needing anything of not leaning into anything that's when the magic happens i think um so the the subline the subhead of visioning is creating the life of our dreams in a world that works for us all and just I'll, I can go through what some of the chapters are. Um, waking up, well, star seeds have already woken up. Um, preparing the way, prayer and meditation, forgiveness and gratitude. Um, one of my one of the lines I take from a dear friend of mine is, "Gratitude is the anointing of increase." And then the actual art of visioning, which is a meditation, and there's a a specific way that I have done it that I go through in the book. And then I have a chapter on intentions and declarations and then letting it happen, which is that surrender part, which is a choice. And then the last chapter is taking it to the streets and saving the world. Although the world doesn't need to be saved, it's it could it just needs light shine shining on it. It just needs to be improved. Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard a a, a YouTube video um, with Julia Roberts reading as um, the voice of Mother Earth, and oh, it was wow. it was it. I mean, you can you can look it up, Julia Roberts. I don't even know what the piece was, but it's it's um, uh, a message from Mother Earth, and. Uh, and it's basically it's like, look, I've been here forever, and I don't need you. You need me. <laughs> right. It was, it was very, very sobering. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah. I mean, the the planet doesn't need to be saved. It only needs to be uh, a relationship with it improved, because um, she'll always win. Right, right. Yeah, she'll she she'll just, always win and and she will always survive. Um, right. Yeah, it's the it's the people that come and go. So, um yeah, that just really impressed me. Yeah. I don't need you. You need me. <laughs> right. So she can just um, bug her shoulder and a whole new ball game begins. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. 
this is how I start out the book Visioning. Grab hold of a vision that only God can do and only as you. And, of course, God means life, all, whatever your definition is. And then I say, this may take a while. Take everything we have. Take the help of everyone we know. Or it may not. We may have to unlearn some stuff, learn new stuff, get over ourselves, change everything we ever thought we knew, or not. It may happen quickly, or it may not. Either way, it's what we signed up for. We came here to live our visions. There's nothing else for us to do, and no one else to do it. The world awaits us. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So um, you said you've got a new book that you're mulling over, and um, <laughs> new are, are any new travels coming up? Um, just we're we're in Colorado now, but this isn't our um, our homeland, and so we have a few travels to check a few places out that we're thinking about settling down in. Um, for, you know, for the golden years. My husband has this great line. He says, we're not growing old, we're growing gold. And I love growing gold with you. And we're not old yet, we're in our mid-50s. But <laughs> so, but yeah, just well, thinking for, down the line, really I love the line. <laughs> I love growing gold with you. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Well, um, we're just... I don't, I don't think we're. I don't think we're going to have any callers. I've, I've uh, opened the door twice now, and and uh, they just have to get your books and and read them for them for themselves. Right. So, I mean, right. Just, um, <laughs> recap here. Uh, your website is Anne Crawford, and Anne is A N N Crawford C R A W F O R D, Crawford dot net, and your books are all on Amazon. Actually, um, Spellweaver is coming out tomorrow. Well, it's already on Amazon. The official launch is tomorrow after Mercury goes direct. <laughs> I was saying, did you know that on purpose, or did you? I I have it down to the minute. I'm sending my first emails out at 10:30 here, <laughs> Mountain Time. But um, but it's already up. So if anybody wants to yeah. go get it. As I said, it's there now, but the big hoopla hoopla is going going on tomorrow. Okay, great, great. Well, we encourage everyone to pick up any or all of your books, and it's just been a, a pleasure to have you on our show. And is there anything that um, that you want to say before we wrap it up? Well, I I love you guys. I love you fabulous women. And I think what you're doing is such a gift for the planet, just empowering starseeds to better serve the planet. So thank you for all that you do. And thank you for having me on. And it's been an absolute joy. Well, it has been our pleasure as well. And we're just we're just so happy that we we've got really got a great community and it's growing and growing. I mean, I I keep track of the um, the statistics and the numbers, and the show um, we've been on the air uh, since March of 2010. 
So we just celebrated our seventh year on the air. And in the last year, the, the audience has doubled. And we're actually coming up um, probably by the end of the summer, uh, we'll have a million listens. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah I'm watching it. We're almost at 900,000 right now, so it's going to take a few more months to get that last 100,000. But So um, we have, a, we have a, an ever-increasing audience that is awake, and they're going to love your books. Thank you, thank you. That's awesome for you, and what a gift for us all you are. Thank you so much. Oh, well, it is it is our privilege, and it is something that you know gives purpose to all of us. So we're glad that you're part of the family. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to be with you all. Well, thank you so much for spending your evening with us. And um, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening. Remember to check out AnnCrawford.net and check out her books, any or all of them. And we will be back next week. And please keep in mind that after that, then we're going to Arkansas. So we'll be, we'll be gone for two weeks, but we will be here next week. And until then, just remember to count your blessings every day and live with gratitude. Take care, everyone. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 